0: We are Cosmo Babies. On this week's episode, we have a special guest joining us, Nina Tulio. We are going to be chatting about some of the failures early in our career and the ways that you can get over those and grow and be successful. I'm your host, Danny MacArthur, and I have my wonderful co-host with me today, Erin Gray. So let's just jump right on into it. Welcome, Nina. Thank you so much for joining us. I am extremely excited to have you on this week's episode.
1: Oh my god, are you kidding? I've been waiting for this. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just pumped about our little <laughs> chat and conversation.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Let's just definitely like jump right in. I I love the conversation about failures early in our career because I think that there is such the stigma, especially from social media today, that you have to be perfect and mm-hmm. that you have to nail it and that you're never going to get anywhere without being like that number one person in school, but I think that there's so much success that comes from failing early in your career? Well, here's the thing. I mean, we don't
1: learn when we're perfect all the time. Our most teachable moments are when we having a hard time, when we make mistakes, when we, you know, put on the wrong toner. Like these are the things that we learn from and we've all been in those situations. I don't care how long you've been in the business. I mean, I was, I had some, honestly, I've had some of my biggest mistakes behind the chair when I was an owner and I was 12, 13, 14, 15 years in. And so I think it's important to know that in this business, we're constantly learning and we're growing sure. and you're not going to get it right all the time. And that's okay. But it's just, it's really good sometimes to take a step back and say, okay, what could I have done differently? And what did I learn from this? So then I don't turn Carol's hair green again. Uh-huh. Like, how can we, you know, how do we have to do that? on a business side, it's the same thing. You know, it's it's really just kind of hitting the pause button and taking taking a step back and kind of reevaluating.
0: And you know, you do have that history as a salon owner. But can you can you just give everybody kind of a quick rundown of what your journey through professional beauty has looked like? Sure. So
1: I, I every time I say this, I've been I'm going on my 27th year. I can't even believe it. I feel like a (laughs) fossil at this point. So I'm 27 years in and I would not have it any other way. I eat, sleep and breathe this business. I love people and I love watching other people grow and I love serving. And so, yeah, I was the first to sign up for my Votech. So I'm a Votech student and I finished with straight A's. It's the only class, honestly, that I had straight A's (laughs) in because I really struggled in school. And, you know, I I went off and worked at a small salon first. It just, it wasn't my vibe. And then I ended up working for a chain salon. And then through that chain salon, I ended up becoming a manager and then becoming a district manager for them and then becoming part owner of that chain. We actually moved to Florida and opened up five salons in one year, starting a new wow. chain of salons. And wow. so my mentors, you know, I was with them since I was like 19 years old until I was 20, probably 28. Twenty seven, twenty eight. So, uh-huh. you know, and then from there, I it was just time for me to fly solo. You know, I worked with them for a long time. I wanted to do my own thing. So yeah. the salons that we opened were in South Florida, but I moved back home to Pennsylvania, took a little bit of a break and created my own salon and brand uh-huh. and opened up my own salon in 2006. Uh-huh. So, you know, I was a stylist behind the chair. I was a working owner, you know, until the last probably two years then I removed myself from working behind the chair so I can focus more so on growing the business. And, you know, my goal and vision has always been to do what I'm doing now, which is to create my own coaching and consulting business and really work with owners and independents and stylists mm-hmm. to really help them make more money, keep more money and, and build confidence. You know, that was always mm-hmm. the goal, um, especially mm-hmm. for salon owners, because there wasn't a lot of support for them. And so in 2016, I sold my business and I started my consulting business in 2017, and we're six and a half years in at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's been quite a ride, and I have loved
0: every single minute of it. I have a question. So, be- because you work so heavily with salon owners, how many salon owners do you work with, or have you worked with, or do you see in the industry right now that are within their first one to three years of being licensed?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. You know, I would say that. The majority of salon owners that I see and that I work with, they have been in the business for five years plus. Mm-hmm. Now, there are, there are a handful, you know, that maybe are in their second or third year and they're really kind of contemplating opening up a salon. Or maybe they're just thinking about going out on their own first, mm-hmm. be independent. That's mm-hmm. kind of like a stepping stone. And then they can get their feet wet a little bit and then really, you know, understand what it likes to lead a team of people. So I would say I don't have I don't have a lot of owners that I work with or a lot of owners that I know that are opening salons within the first three, one to three years of being in the industry. I would say it's five years plus. And I know there are a handful, you know, and and there are Uh some out there, but it's not it's not the majority.
0: The reason I ask that is because in uh, definitely while while I was in school, but also I know for Aaron, having Erin's background is within the school system. So she mm-hmm. works with students in the school system for years and years and years. And I feel like so many people while in school are, okay, I'm going to graduate, get my license. I'm going to open a salon. Mm-hmm. Right. You right. know, and they're, they're, they're so one. excited about they're, it. Day one, I would ask them like, why are you here? And I was always like, you know, what? what's your plan when you leave? And it was always like, one of two things. They were either going to graduate and open up that salon as soon as they were licensed, or just like pop down to LA and start doing celebrity hair. It was going to be one of those two things. And so, you know, we always talked about like, okay, well, there's like a very real roadmap to get to those places. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple more stops along the way, you know, and as you get through school, you realize like, oh shit, like there's, there's a lot more involved in these things. But yeah, I do think, I do think a lot of people go to school and they're like, cool, like, the the natural progression is to immediately open a salon. Like that's the that's the only thing you can do, you know, to be successful. I think sometimes it's the feeling uh, mm. when you go to school. And and owning a salon is a owning a salon is a is a lifestyle, right? Yeah, like it's a it's a you've, I mean, you've, listen, it's you you've you you do not need to tell me. I know all Africa. about it. Yeah, it's not diving through pits, money and like, you know, hanging out and chilling. It is, it's a lot of work. And so I see, I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of work that goes into opening and running a successful salon and leading a team. Mm -hmm. And so having someone like you, Nina, to help them navigate that and make that profitable because there are plenty of salons that are open that are owners are working behind the chair just to pay everybody else's, you know. Mm -hmm. commissions and stuff. I get a lot of DMs about this. Like, what should I do? I'm getting ready to
1: graduate. I'm always honest. I'm always Mm going to keep a 100, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think that are there students that come out of school that can go independent and open up a salon and do well? Yes. Mm -hmm. I know a small handful of them. Mm -hmm. However, we have to understand that there are a lot of components that we have to fully and truly understand when we go into business for ourselves. So not only do you have to understand how to treat people because the relationship side of this business is A, number one, and probably most important, then you have to know how to do hair and do it well because there's so much competition. And then you have to understand how to run a business. So there are three different components there. And you know when you get out of school, there's so much more learning to be had. And I think that it's so... It's so important to find a mentor and find a salon or find someone or a salon itself that you can really spend time with and really learn from, you know, a mentor or someone that can really guide you and lead you and share their own experience so you can avoid some of the mistakes, you know, and the pitfalls that happen along the way. Mm -hmm. I know that 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 method may not be for everyone, but I think, there is just, I mean, I think of when I got out of school, like if someone said, okay, you're going to own a business, I'd be like, I don't even know how to do a pixie cut yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what do I do when Judy wants a refund? Or if she's uh-huh. unhappy and we have to do a reservice or, you know, there are so many things that we don't think about that kind of come up. And I, what I see a lot, and I've been sharing a lot of this on my reels, is that people jump in head first going independent and they jump in headfirst as a commission owner and they truly do not realize the back end side of it and all of the systems that have to be created first to create a sustainable and successful business. So just mm-hmm. kind of take your time and do your due diligence. Like, I know it's exciting and, you know, you may want to get in there and run your business, but no, this is not a, a race. This is a marathon. You know, we kind of I have to do things a little bit slower and do a little bit more research before we dive in headfirst.
0: first. Absolutely. Roger. What do you think the top three mistakes people are making are? Like just who are currently, you know, who are currently salon owners? Like what what are the top three things that you see most commonly?
1: The top three things I would say is they're not aware of the back end part of their business. They're not paying attention to their numbers. They don't understand what their profit margin is. They're not looking at profit and loss statements. They are maybe doing well, they're bringing in a lot of money in sales, but they're not necessarily keeping that money. So they don't really have Mm -hmm. a good handle on what it means to make money and keep money. The other thing I would say is probably there's a lot of pricing issues for sure, because you know, we're going back because I think this is kind of a trend. Even, Even when I started in this business, people were always searching for pricing information. But a lot of times what happens is is they take someone else's pricing structure or their methods and they apply them to their own business and that doesn't right. work. So a lot of times when stylists come in and they open up their own business or they go independent, they use someone else's model and they're severely undercharging because mm-hmm. what would work for the salon down the street isn't going to work for you, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I coach and teach. There are five things that we go to according to pricing or services, like five tips. And so pricing is a real big thing. And the other thing I would probably say is When it comes to salon owners specifically, you know, if you have a team like a commission owner or even a hybrid owner, the biggest thing I would say there is the leadership side. That's Uh one of the biggest challenges in terms of making mistakes. I think it is not spending enough time understanding the importance of true leadership and putting your people first and, and a servant style leadership, which is what I wholeheartedly believe in. And that's how I coached my team as well when I had my salon. And understanding that when you put your people first, your people put your clients first and they have a better experience. So it's like the leadership, the brand and culture, they kind of all run together. And I feel sometimes that gets overlooked and we just Mm kind of dive in and we make our our spot pretty like our cute little salon and it's all beautiful (laughs) and done well. Mm -hmm. But we don't understand what it means to actually lead a team of people and what it actually looks like to put people first and have a business that's a people first business, both on the client side and on the
0: stylist side. So those are my three. Yeah, I love that. I think culture is such a huge missed opportunity for a lot of newer people because they Mm -hmm. don't understand or have developed a sense of culture in the salon. And I definitely think that there are people that can be successful going straight from school into an ownership type situation. It is far and few between and i feel like for me personally my i guess my stance or wherever i sit is that like not only is there room for everybody in professional beauty but there are so many different paths like there's not one right way to go from school or an apprenticeship or or getting your license and going into working in the industry but i think it's finding like you said that support that mentorship the people surrounding you to help you along the way which is why i'm such a big fan of the approach that you have in the beauty industry, because I feel like you come from such this incredible, vulnerable place with the information that you share. And I feel like that's a a huge part that people sometimes they don't even, even think about or they just miss that step in their approach of being vulnerable and having a sense of culture and understanding of that.
1: Sure. Thank you. And yeah, it is really hard to create. You know, again, Mm -hmm. if you don't know what your beliefs are and you don't understand what your core values are and what you stand for and what your purpose is, Mm -hmm. it's hard to deliver that and sell that to stylists like they have to really believe in that. You know, people want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves and you're the only one that can create that as an owner. And if you don't take the time to create that, you're going to attract people that don't align Mm because they don't know. They just exactly. don't know who, like, who are we? What What are we doing? Like, what do we stand for? What is our mission? What is our purpose? What is our promise to our clients? You know, and the other thing that popped in my head as you were saying this back to like the mistakes and this this comes up often is that when we go from hairstylist to independent, you know, solopreneur or commission hybrid owner, mm-hmm. we keep wearing the hairstylist hat. Meaning we're still functioning as the hairstylist and we're not functioning as a business owner. We're still working for commission behind the chair as opposed to paying yourself a salary or, you know, a a rate that makes sense for you and your business in terms of how you're being compensated. Mm -hmm. And so we have to take that stylist hat off and we have to put the business hat on and start making decisions that are best for the business long term not focusing on Judy and Kelly and Connie and all the clients that are sitting uh-huh. in my hair today. It's like, mm-hmm. how am I growing my marketing strategy? What is my brand messaging and voice? How am I training and onboarding my team? You know, what is the long-term vision? You know, there are so many things that happen, but we get caught up in being a hairstylist every day behind the chair. And that has to shift majorly, you know, when you take on ownership, whether it's solopreneur or you're, you know, running, running a full-on business with the team.
0: Mm -hmm. What did that shift look like for you in your own career? When was the moment that you kind of pivoted from like working behind the chair to working and being there for your team more often?
1: Well, it was something that I thought I could do by year five. However, if you listen to my story, you know that the first five years of my business was a total shit show. Yeah. And so, you know, I almost closed my business twice before year five. I was Mm -hmm. $90,000 in debt. My fault. I made poor decisions financially. Uh, I was completely broke, you know, up to year five. And so that wasn't going to happen for me. I had to be a little bit flexible in my approach. I wasn't Mm going to change my goal, but I had to change the approach toward that goal, which meant, Mm -hmm. okay, you're going to be here a little bit longer behind the chair than you wanted to. So, After I got myself out of the hole in the mess that I created, which took a good solid year of me holding myself accountable, looking myself in the mirror and saying, what are you doing? Like, you need to change things up significantly. Mm -hmm. And it started, you know, I would say probably year six, year seven, I thought, you know, I really need to scale back. I need to scale back behind the chair and work only three days and then two days eventually because my focus and I knew this and my mentors would tell me this all the time. They're like, Neen. Your your skill is not working behind the chair. Your skill set is actually growing people. Uh So the more that you're tied to that chair, the less your stylist will have an opportunity of full potential and growth because you're focused on the wrong thing. And I would Uh replay that in my mind over and over and over. So probably year six or seven was when I started to really cut back. And then by year eight, when I positioned to sell the business, I stopped doing hair.
0: Eight, eight and a half years in, I stopped doing hair completely. It was quite a transition, you know, and think about it when I was at, I was at the hair school and it was really hard to leave the students, but we were doing so much with, with hair nerds and, and I stayed, I stayed probably two years longer than I really should have. And we had so many conversations that were like, Mm -hmm. as much as you love these students, like there's this whole, there's this whole other world and community, you know, that you can reach. And and it was hard because it was like, well, if I, once I get this one class graduated, well then I'll then I'm gonna mm-hmm. then I'm gonna I'll be done. But then I'd fall in love with another class and it'd be yeah. like, well as soon as your class is done. But I think that Amy's class is actually my like last real class. What for me was so hard was like okay, I loving loving what you do. So if you love being a hairdresser, mm-hmm. but then also knowing like I I really do need to put this focus on being an owner. And so how do you, how do you reconcile those things? You know, if you do really love being behind the chair, but for this business to be profitable and for you to really fulfill your, your potential and, you know, and take it to the next level, at is there like a, is there a point where it's like, okay, this is the definitive moment that you need to be looking for where it's going to be like, okay,
1: it's time to go. Yeah, this is such a good good. Good question, because I feel like it's gonna be different for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, owners need to really be in tune to what the needs are for their business because the needs of my business are gonna be different than everybody else's. And I feel like, and and listen, not every owner is gonna stop working behind the chair. That's not a goal for everyone and that's okay. You don't have to. That was the goal for me because I was positioning to sell my business. But there are owners that I coach a lot to that maybe we get them down to doing two or three days a week behind the chair and we find that balance for them Where they can still be creative and work behind the chair, but they still have to have that focus on understanding that they're the only one in their business that can run this business, Mm -hmm. but they have a whole team of stylists that can do what they do behind the chair. Mm -hmm. so we have to really come to understand that, you know, there will be a point in time. And I feel like when you feel like the team is compromised because you're not coaching them one-on-one monthly, you're not having meetings like you should, you're not doing your quick 15-minute powwows like you used to, when things are being compromised on the team side, that's when you have to say, you know what, it's time. Like, I have to take a little bit of a step back because now taking care of clients behind the chair, I cannot do that as much as I would like to because I have a whole team of four, five, six, seven stylists that need me to lead them and guide them. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're there for. And we owe that to them. You know, and it is understanding the financial side of it. Cause that's a big thing. Cause you did mention the profitability. Most in most cases, the owner, like I was, I was a big breadwinner in my salon. Mm-hmm. Now, I was very fortunate enough to have a kick ass team of stylists that were also pretty close to doing what Bring I was doing. Money. You know, yeah. they were bringing in, in money. And I transitioned mm-hmm. it where when I was getting ready to sell in the two years that I moved my clients to them. So then okay. they were getting busier. But what happens is, is when you're that person, you have to run the numbers because your profit margin is going to take a hit because Mm -hmm. now all of the money that was coming into you, which you could then put back into the business now has to be split on commission. And so what I would do in one day, they would have to double in order for me Mm -hmm. to break even. So we Mm -hmm. have to understand the financial side of it, too. And and there's a there's a process to it. I work Uh with a lot of owners and we're in the process of doing this now. When can I cut back a little bit behind the chair? I'm like, let's start running the numbers and let's put a six month to a year date on it so we get you financially solid before we pull you away because we don't want to pull you away and then the numbers start to dip and then you that's the worst feeling ever because now you're Mm -hmm. like shit now I got to go back in you know so it it is a process and it it is a time-consuming process but well worth it
0: yeah and what about for an owner who is really I mean because we I feel like we see it a lot where you'll have an owner who's doing 80, who's bringing in 80% um, into a salon and maybe they mm-hmm. hired, you know, a younger staff or they were training or maybe yeah, for whatever reason, they're, they are carrying a salon. You know, is it, what is your advice to them? Is it, hey, you need, you need new stylists or is, I mean, is it training? Like, what do you do in a situation like that? Because I, gosh, I mean, there were years where the majority of people I saw, like the owners were. Keeping that bad boy afloat, okay. you know, and if the owner if the, God forbid somebody broke their arm, I mean it was gonna it was a sinking ship. It was gonna go down for sure. One of the things that
1: I think owners miss big time is the training and onboarding. Uh-huh. They don't take the time to train and onboard their team, and so the team is like, "Hey, what, I guess I'm doing what I should be doing, or what does your assistant curriculum look like? How often right. are you spending with them every single week? to really go through a curriculum that will allow them to learn from point A to point Z until they can then get out on the floor. And that could be six months, could be eight months, depends on the person, Mm -hmm. right? So the training and onboarding and the curriculum for the assistant program sometimes gets skipped. And it is the most crucial component to the business because if you're not teaching your team to be better stylists, be stronger stylists, to be more efficient and effective stylists, you're always gonna be the one who's bringing in the most money. So my strategy always was, how can I get them to be busier than me, better than me, faster than me, and more technically sound than me? I wanted them to be. And that was my focus. So it was a lot of education investment in them. We did a whole, so every year we would have one word that we would come up with as a team that would be the focal point of the year. Mm -hmm. And one year it was education. And we focused on, I spent a lot of money educating them, you know, in the budget. Mm -hmm. We spent a lot of money educating our clients. We put systems in place to educate every client. And we spent a lot of money marketing, marketing dollars to promote the education that we were doing. So Mm -hmm. everything that we did was focused around education. That was the best year we had. Because everybody was so focused on educating themselves and then educating the client uh-huh. that it elevated the client retention and everybody was happy. I think it's really spending time focusing on things that matter and that are most important and knowing that the team can do what you're doing. You're not the only one that can do great hair. You know, After. you have to know your strengths and your, your weaknesses. But crank is it was for me, it was a constant like cranking of like, OK. How can we get them to do that? How can we, you know, get more mannequins in here? How can we spend more time where they can learn more balayage? Because I didn't do balayage. Like, hand painting for me, it was so foreign to me. Like, yeah. I was still doing, you know, I was teasy lights, Like, that was like, I was doing that, and that was the whole ombre thing was coming out. And then some of my girls were coming back from, you know, rojo, and they're, like, painting like champs. I was like, <laughs> hell yes, let's Focus on this and really market on this, right? And yes. really celebrate that, you know? And you can take all those clients. I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. So it's understanding that you have to put focus on your team and really spend time educating them and being okay with them being better than you. I think that's most important. You want them to be. Yes. I oh that for yes. yes. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that's a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's such a pain point. Yeah, mm-hmm. the ego is so difficult to sure. allow yourself to get past that. Okay, so I have a question kind of going back to the beginning of your career. How many years do you think that you were in before you had like those aha moments of like I know what I'm doing I can do this like I can train people I can teach people I can manage a business like how long do you think that took for you to kind of have that moment of realization It was probably my 5th
1: 6th year for me um because like I told you I you know I really made some major mistakes and that's why I share a lot of my mistakes because I want people to avoid that That's really a lot of the purpose behind what I share, why I'm so vulnerable. And so year five, year six, that was like a pretty big transition year for me because we started then growing pretty rapidly. After year five, we grew 20 to 30 percent year over year until I sold under 11. Um, And and it wasn't because of me. You know, I was steering the ship, but it was because of my team. One of my team members had 55 percent growth from the prior year. I mean, they were just incredibly talented and worked very, very hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think you kind of have to know, again, like, what are the ebbs and flows of your business? What makes sense for your business? And listen to your gut. Mm -hmm. As an owner, that is so key because there are people that I hired and I'm like, and good people but I'm like, "Mm, probably not a fit, but I'm a Pisces and I like to, you know, make people happy and I want all this love and I want everybody to get along and I want to save people and help them and nurture them, you know? So, you know, I would take risks sometimes and I I knew it after I, I'm like, this, this is not, I, it's not going to be a fit, Mm -hmm. you know? And I started to become more in tune to that and really listen to myself when those feelings were, were to come up. And again, no shade, they were great people. It's just what they just were not a fit for what I was looking for for my brand and mm-hmm. my business. so yeah. I think you just have to be really in tune to your brand and what makes sense for your brand like really, like my focus was always making the best decisions for the business long term, and my team knew I would do anything for them to this day they they can call me, text me anytime, I will literally do whatever they need to support them and we're going i mean this is since 2016 since i sold but they also knew that the business came first because without making smart decisions for the business uh-huh. we could close our doors there was nothing uh-huh. there was absolutely nothing and uh-huh. i shared this in a reel the other day on how like oh my god what a what a sense of responsibility it is to be an owner and how what would keep me up at night is knowing that oh this actually makes me emotional still. Like my business being open was how they were feeding their families and keeping their homes and paying their rent. Mm -hmm. Like that is serious shit. That is a huge responsibility. And I did not take that lightly. So I knew that even though some of the decisions I made, they weren't super happy about it. They knew that it was always at the best of the business to keep the business open and to make sure that we were growing and thriving. And it wasn't because I was trying to be a jerk. Mm-hmm. You know right. what I mean? Like, because if not, we may not be open in six months. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Especially yeah. when I had myself in that in all of that debt. You know, we may be closing. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's hard to separate. But I think when we remove the emotion out of it, when you remove the emotion mm-hmm. and yes. the decisions that you're <laughs> making for your business, you make more clear decisions. Yeah, and not everybody, you know, we're, when you're a leader, you're not there to please everyone. You're not there. You're not selling right. ice cream. Right. Sure. It's really hard. It's a very, very, very hard It's a hard job. It's rewarding. It's super hard. And so making some of those decisions sometimes like, hey, you know what? I'm really sorry. I have to cut your hours because I just don't have the budget. That shit sucks so bad. It was horrible. Oh, I hated it. But at the end of the day, if I didn't do that, we would be in financial duress. And I knew that. So you've got to pay attention and listen to your gut and always make decisions that are best for the
0: business. I I think on the other side of that point, I would encourage newer stylists and young professionals who think about what Nina just said and and look at when, when your owner comes to you and is making decisions that you don't agree with and when you're in the break room talking shit about it mm-hmm. and when you're unhappy and you're in a group chat, just remember that person is responsible for you not living in your car. Yeah. And they are making decisions Doing the very best that they can, hopefully, right mm, to right. keep the door open so that you have a place to work and and bring in money. And it's not always fun. It's certainly not always fun to be a business owner or to be an owner of any kind. And there is a huge amount of responsibility and a and a ton of weight uh-huh. that comes there. Yeah, it's like being a parent, uh-huh. you know. And so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I think it is always important to remember, like, again, owners are not owners are not just like. Making money off of you and like going on vacation, yeah, you know, there's a there's a lot of work and responsibility that's happening, and yeah. it's something that people aren't taking lightly. Yeah, it made mm-hmm. me think of a a story from the very beginning of my career with the first salon that I was ever at, and Erin, like Erin and I met while I I was going through cosmetology school. She worked at the cosmetology school, and we bonded very very quickly, and. After I graduated, Erin was like my go-to for everything. Because while I was in school, that was actually her job was to like be our go-to for everything. And I just like kept her and hung on to her. And I was like, nope, I'm still going to need you in my career. (laughs) It's like this additional resource. I, I definitely struggled in my first salon. I wanted so badly to find an assistant program. But where I was located at that time, there just weren't many of them. So they were extremely difficult to get into. They were highly competitive. And so I ended up working in a salon that I found and it it was, you know, it was great. The people were really wonderful and they definitely tried so hard to teach us. But there just wasn't enough of what I like I personally needed in my life at that point. I wasn't able to get what I needed at that time for somebody else. It was wonderful. And I remember having a sit-down conversation with Erin because I definitely felt like I was failing. Absolutely. I wasn't bringing in enough clients. I felt like I wasn't learning enough and that my skill level wasn't there. And she always had to tell me, you got to remove the feelings. Look at the facts. Mm. Let's take a look at the facts and line these up. Are the facts leading you to where you want to go and the goals that you have? Or are the facts not, you know, are you making an emotional decision? Or is this something that's actually just not viable for you right now? Because I went to cosmetology school a little bit later in my life, I had already been an esthetician for years and a part of professional beauty. But cosmetology is a different game than skincare is, you know, it's like it's a whole different learning curve. There's so much more education that you need because it's different than the education I was giving myself. And and it's like that I think was one of the most difficult things. And it's something her and I still have to sit down because it's like am I actually failing at the things I'm trying to do for myself or is it an emotional response that I'm having right now at this moment? And we have to have that conversation even, mm-hmm. what, 12 years into our business, we still have that same conversation. Like, I don't think that's, that's not the feelings that goes yeah. away. And we're that's so, so true. Take all the feelings away from this. What are the facts in this situation and how mm-hmm. do we, how do we, how do we achieve? It's so funny because my husband
1: never- always says that to me. He's like, yeah. feelings aren't facts. I'm like, okay.
0: Yeah. All right. Are we going to
1: go down this road right now? Is this what we're going to do? down. Yeah. But yeah, I think it really is true. And I think, you know, and, and here's the thing, like, you know, especially speaking to the students or stylists that are, you know, in, in the business for a year or two, sometimes it's just not a fit. Yeah. And that's okay. And yep. for the owners, sometimes it's just not a fit and that's okay. Yeah. And I think, Again, going back to listening to your gut, you know, hairstylist, you have to listen to your gut too. Mm -hmm. Things have to feel really good. And it's not bad. You know, just like you were mentioning before, it's not bad. It just wasn't a good fit for you Mm -hmm. and what your needs were. And I think it's just very important to pay attention to that. I just don't we don't need to make big deals about this stuff. We just have to have clear and honest conversations, you know, like with the owner, like, hey, you know, I love it here and I think it's amazing, but I just don't feel like I'm getting what I need. And either A, the owner's going to respond and they're going to do the most mm-hmm. or they're going to say, wow, thank you so much for sharing and telling me, you know, what else can you add? What else can we talk about? Well, I, you know, I don't know what else I can do. You know, this is kind of how we run things. These are our systems. This is what we do. And maybe this isn't a fit. But I think we just have to get to the point where, like, we just need to have real and clear, honest conversations with each other.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I think there's such a lack of communication a lot of the times where it just, if we, if we could get to the point where we could sit down, whether you're the stylist speaking to the owner or vice versa, like I think if there's a better communication where there's more understanding on both sides, Mm -hmm. it'd be a different industry. It'd be like an entirely different industry. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't have to live life like. High school mean girls, Mm -hmm. for sure. You know, like, yeah, we're all, we can be intelligent individuals and have really open and honest conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, That is one of the things I think that bothers me the most about the industry is that there's, I think there's this huge stigma that it's like hairdressers love to party and it's gossipy and it's clicky and it's like hairdressers are so stupid. And, you know, like there's this huge stigma. And there are so many people who are just so intelligent. And, and there are, I mean, there are salons that are absolutely running like this. Uh, and I think, but I do think it is really easy to fall back into these patterns of, you know, kind of gossipy text messages behind behind the owner's back and salon walkouts. Mm. You know, I mean, how many times do we hear about nine stylists leaving and then they, oh, and then they went and opened a salon. Now they're dead to the salon owner. Like, we do not have to live in an industry where people are dead to one another. We we can talk it out. Like, we can, we can talk to each other and tell them, like, hey, this is not working for me take a minute, go my own way. We can be, we can be happy and celebrate each other and want good things for people, like community over competition.
1: That, that comes from a a real insecure place, you Mm -hmm. know, that, that's where that, that's where that's coming from, you know, with the talking bad about people or the gossiping or, you know, whether it's about each other, even on social, Mm -hmm. you know, I see it or bad-mouthing people or bad-mouthing clients or like, That is coming from a very insecure place, someone that doesn't feel really good about themselves. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like as an owner, you know, just taking accountability and and talking to owners for a second, you know, that is that has to be at the forefront of your business is like, hey, we don't do that here, Mm -hmm, but you have to lead the charge. You know, you have to lead by example. You know, we're not going to sit in the back room and talk about people. We're not going to, you know, everybody's going to have something to say on on occasion, right? It's We're human. But, you know, we're not going to gossip about people. We're not going to badmouth people. We're not going to disparage other salons. We're just not going to do that. And that's part Uh of the culture. Uh You know, that was part of the culture in in my salon, for sure. You know, if someone was saying, oh, I went to this salon and this is what they did to my hair. okay, cool. So let's talk about what we're going to do.
0: Like, Uh we're not going to feed
1: into that. You know what I mean? Uh And so I think owners have to be really confident in themselves and what they're offering, because I think. In order for those clear conversations, like you mentioned, Aaron, like we have to have these conversations like adults, you know, we have to say, hey, oh, my God, you want to go and do your own thing? Congratulations. I love mm-hmm. that for you. That's awesome. How can mm-hmm. I help you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, don't hurt mm-hmm. me. Don't go right. nuts and start doing things that are going to hurt my business. Right. Yeah. But let's talk about this. Like, how can I support you? How can I help you? What do you need from me? Because Uh mentorship, true mentorship, doesn't stop in your salon. It carries Uh on through. Like you want people to remember what you shared with them and what they learned from you so they can continue to do it and pay it forward to the people that they have. Uh And so there's a lot of, and and I, I talk about this a lot, like there's a lot of deeper work that we have to do as owners and stylists within ourselves to be able to work at a higher level or we can say, congratulations, I'm so happy from you, for you. Uh-huh. Like, how long are how long are you gonna stay? Are you gonna do two weeks? Uh-huh. Do you wanna do a week? Do you want to do three? Like, let's have the conversation. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. because the oh, that's the only way it's gonna happen. It has uh-huh. to start with the owner first. And you've got to be very confident in yourself and your business and 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 what you're doing, and knowing that if someone leaves, you're gonna be okay. Uh-huh. You know? Absolutely. And you will be as long as you've got your systems in place and your brands in check and you're doing all of the right things, you will be okay. It's hard and it stinks. Right. I've been through it many times, but knowing, hey, you know what? No matter what, I'll always be okay. Mm-hmm, like, and you right. get to a point where someone comes up and they're like, hey, I want to get my two weeks. Okay, no problem. Yeah. Cool, uh-huh. let's talk about it. Yeah. Instead uh-huh. of like, oh my God,
0: like gloom and doom. Right, you know? absolutely. Right. Something that I, I really loved when I got to actually be a part of one of your classes, Nina, was the amount of, like like the true, like safe space that was created during your class. Because I think that a lot of these things that people are feeling like, oh, well, I'm failing, I'm not being successful in my business, no matter at what point in their career that they're at. During that class, people were so, they had such the ability to open up and be vulnerable and tell you like very intimate details in front of a room of a hundred people, you know, and just be like, you know, Take that moment for themselves and be like, okay, no matter my past failures or my mistakes, like, where can I go from here? Where can my starting point be from here? And that was something that I so massively appreciated from that class. Like, there was a point there was not a dry eye in the room. Like, Mm. people were in tears. Like, people were so emotional because I think it for them was a lot of that first kind of open door that was given to them of like, no, it's like, it's okay. Like, you can do these things. And it felt like such like for my point of view, it's like I feel like you were someone who is truly living like a living embodiment of like your point of being on this planet, you know, and like like what you're able to give to other people in this world. And it was like just truly incredible to watch. And it's like I definitely want I want to give you an opportunity to like plug everything that you have, because I really do think that anyone, even students like I think can benefit From sitting in a room like that and listening to Mm -hmm. other stories of people and other people's failures and mistakes that they think they are. But I think what the conversation is, is like, there really is no such thing as a failure. They're like, Mm -hmm. we, they're all learning points. They're all points that you're able to pivot and get better and learn something that you didn't know before, because you don't know what you don't know until you can find the information that you need. And I I really do think that you are such a great place to learn those things that you may not know. And, you Thank know, you. Like, oh, my God.
1: I'm like tearing. I'm like, literally, <laughs> like, I'm like, am I going to have like a full-blown cry right <laughs> now? I just, I appreciate that so much. And and you're so kind. Be, I, I just, I'm almost at a loss because I feel like that's like the nicest thing that anyone could ever say because... Truly, at my core, like I just want to serve other people and I want them to know that they're supported Mm -hmm. and I want them to know that they don't have to be perfect. So I think creating that safe space for me is allowing them to see me vulnerable, allowing them to share that I've made really big mistakes and that I almost closed my business and that I was in debt and I made really bad decisions when it came to money. And it came from my story of growing up and my mom and my dad and how they struggled and how we were broke. That's part of it. And I think when they Mm -hmm. see that, they're like, oh, wow, I can talk about this. Yeah, I can't, because like you mentioned, there were people who were sharing like some really deep, intimate things. And that's what I want my classes to be. And I want them to feel like, wow, if she can do that, I can too. Because you're only going to grow when you start to ask questions. You're only going to grow when you feel like, Mm -hmm. Hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't right. Maybe I need to make a pivot. Maybe all of the things that I was doing when it comes to money or pricing or running my business, maybe they just weren't right for me and that's okay. Uh-huh. You know? So, thank you for that. And it was just I just get so emotional in my classes too. Like a lot of times when my classes are over, like I just cry because yeah. I'm just so overwhelmed with joy but just grateful that I get to do what I love. Like with yeah. such amazing people in the most amazing industry, right? Uh-huh. So, yeah, I feel like for students, whether you're in school or you're getting out of school or you're an owner, I mean, I feel like I have so many resources. Yeah, first of all, my biggest resource would be Instagram because I share so much on my ID. Yeah, uh-huh. you can get so uh-huh. much information from there. But also, just on my website, I have a lot of free resources. I have free pricing classes. I have profit and product calculators for my independents and my uh-huh. owners. Like. Dive in, are you mm-hmm. overspending like let's let's talk about it, you know, yeah, there are so many things that you can grab on my website for free and so much that you can learn you know learn about as well
0: absolutely yeah. and you have you are opening up a new class soon, is that right in August? Yes. listen, I love my make that money <laughs> course because
1: and I have so I have make that money for my independence and then I have my synergy academy, which is for my commission and my hybrid owners and i but I love my make that money course because the students that come in, they are ready to go. Mm -hmm. Like they it's a we are we're doing this class in real time. It's five weeks and I show up every week in the Facebook group live every week to help them, support them, guide them. We have real deep conversations and they are just in it to win it. And their energy is so contagious. And so that is for my independence. And it is Really, in a nutshell, it is helping independents to make more money, to keep more money and to mm-hmm. build their business from a space of confidence and not fear. Mm-hmm. So it is pricing. It is your money story. It is learning how to budget and allocate money properly so you can make at least a 50 percent profit. You know, it is understanding boundaries and, and and knowing how you can set boundaries and what works for you and your business when it comes to scheduling. Mm-hmm. And then I bring a CPA in to talk about taxes and finances and an attorney to talk about templates to protect your business. So there are a lot of components to it, and yeah, I'm so pumped. So it opens doors open on the 21st of August, and then class starts on August 28th.
0: That's really what exciting. I love about this, is this. This is not taught in school. Like, and we've talked about it forever. Like, why isn't this taught? This is what's missing from school. But yeah, as as a hairstylist, as as a an hairstylist, anybody who's you know in this industry, I think that much feels taboo. I think business, anything business, I think always feels kind of scary because we're like, well, we're artists. Like, I'm a creative, you know, and that that is the way my brain works, and it feels really scary. And I think when those things feel scary, we kind of like put our head in the sand and we shy away from them. And so to have somebody like you, who's like, look, come into my come into my trust circle. Like, I'm gonna <laughs> hold your hand. Yeah, we're gonna do this. We're gonna we're gonna be real about it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to be open about it and like facts, not feelings, right? Like mm-hmm. we're going to real, this is real. But at the end of five weeks, like you're going to be good. Like mm-hmm. you're going to be good until so, like, I think God, what a huge, like what a huge weight off of your shoulders you to be like, like okay, totally. I can invest some money into myself and my business. And in five weeks, all of the things that scare the shit out of me and that I am terrified of, I'm going to have a handle on them. And that's done. Like check. Mm-hmm. You know, that's done. Yeah. So I love that because I I ever met every owner I know, especially people who are who are independent. A CPA, just the word CPA, I think makes my heart <laughs> quiver a little bit. And certainly <laughs> yeah. certainly my credit cards cry when it hear <laughs> when it hears lawyer, because Edie and I have <laughs> had our fair share of lawyers over the last few years. They just weep openly. So I wish twelve years ago. We had had somebody who said, like, listen, girls, yeah, <laughs> let me do you a little favor yes. and save you 50 grand, you know, like let's let's do this thing. So definitely. And we will be putting the link in the description. So if you're listening yes. to this podcast right now, look at the description, hit the link, you won't regret it. <laughs> immediately purchase this. Yes. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> uh, okay. Last question for you though. It's my favorite question to ask people. Ooh, okay. It's just I love the answers that come from this one. Knowing everything that you know today. What would you tell yourself back in cosmetology school? Ooh,
1: this is the thing that always comes up for me because I just didn't believe in myself. So, I would say trust your gut. Yes. Believe in your talent no matter what level you're at, no matter how many people's hair you messed up, right? Yes. You're doing this for a reason. There is a skill set within you that maybe you just haven't tapped into yet. Push yourself outside of your comfort zone, but always trust and believe in yourself and your talent and listen to that feeling inside your gut because it will never, ever steer you wrong. So that's what I would that's what I would say to everyone listening, but also to my myself when I was in cosmetology school, I just didn't you know, I wasn't like how I am now. You know, I was very insecure and, you know, just struggling with my family and my dad and issues there. And I just felt like I just wasn't enough. And that went on for a long, long time. You know, even Uh into the early years of me owning my business, I kind of carried that with me. And so I wish that I would have believed in myself a little bit more. So, you know, take everything with a grain of salt and everything that is a discovery for you is a teachable moment. It's not a mistake. It's just a teachable moment. Learn from it and keep it moving.
0: I love that. Well, I just I cannot thank you enough for joining us today and taking the time. I super appreciate it. It is always like a great moment when we get to hang out with you. So
1: thank <laughs> you guys. Oh my God, same. I could talk to you for hours. So oh, thank same. you so much for having same. me. I appreciate it. <laughs> <Of course.
0: laughs> and thank you for all of the listeners listening to this podcast today. You can stream Dear Cosmo Babies on every podcast streaming app that is out there. And feel free to slide into our DMs at Scissor and Moss Social and let us know what you'd like to hear in the future. Awesome. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks. Bye.